everybody. Welcome back to the uh, SFC podcast. This is a podcast about uh, what it looks like to be the light of Jesus within this ski and snowboard culture that we live in. I'm hosting today, Joshua Stock here, uh, coming to you from Copper Mountain in Colorado. And I'm here with Kelly Clark, who's in Sacramento, California, much warmer climate. I, she's been telling me than where I'm at. And uh, so we're here today together to talk about uh, SFC's core value of, of our identity. And um, as many of you who are listening know, one of our core values with SFC is identity. And, and we have this little phrase that we say, um, we enjoy living in laid back recreation focused culture, but we recognize the culture's identity crisis. And while we relate with the culture, we remain obedient to God's word and find our eternal identity in him. Um, usually in these, I give a quick little happy rant, as I call them. Um, but as we all know, the shred culture uh, usually has some sort of identity problem. Um, a lot of times it's about who I know or what tricks I can do or sponsorships or podiums or how long I've been in this town or, you know, there's, there's all sorts of, how many days I have on the hill, um, down to as shallow as what gear I use, you know, there's, there's some identity problems that we have and that we deal with. And, um, oftentimes we talk about what is our identity and where are we finding our identity? Um, sometimes we ask, how do you identify yourself? What do you attach your identity to? What sort of information is in on your profile? You know, what it's almost always about the things that we do. We define ourselves as I'm a snowboarder, I'm a pastor, I'm a I play disc golf. I you know, whatever the things are, we usually define. We find our identity in these things that we do. Um, in John chapter thirteen, um, Jesus, just quick context. He's coming into a time where the Jewish faith. Um, was had become a religious system of pride. It was almost arrogance of like one standing with God based on your performance, right? He's coming to these religious leaders, and there was this identity in doing for them. Um, Simon, his right-hand man, was no exception. Uh, he actually named him Peter, Petra the Rock. Uh, I think it was because he was a little rock-headed and he was kind of slow. He, he had a mouth shaped like a foot. Uh, cause he was good at that. But Jesus, uh, in John 13, Jesus is there at the last supper and Judas walks out of the last supper as the traitor. And there are probably some choice words flying around the room at that time, especially from Simon, who's this guy who's always bragging. And he goes on to brag and he says, I would die for you, Jesus. I, you know, not me. I'm not going to be a traitor. I would die for you, which cues this humbling of the highest order. Uh, Jesus says, no, actually you'll deny me three times. And, and there's this interesting parallel that happens between those two stories between Judas and Peter. Um, both disciples end up betraying Jesus. Um, and both of them actually identified themselves differently and responded differently to, to their sin, to their betrayal of, of Jesus. Judas identified as a sinner who was beyond repair, right? He took matters into his own hands um, and Peter identified as a sinner who thought he was capable of repenting and coming back to the Lord, um, broken and, and humbled, but believing that the Lord still loved him. Um, you know, that, that picture on the beach, he comes swimming back in, he's all soggy and wet and he comes to the Lord and, and, and 
he finds this new identity in Jesus right there on the beach. And we know that he finds a new identity because in first Peter, it, it starts with him owning his place. He says, you know, we are children of God. We are children of God. We are part of the family first. And then all of this doing stuff flows out from that. So it's almost a, it's like a reversal of, we talk all the time about being first. We need to understand how to be a disciple. Then we do discipleship. We, we need to understand who we are first before we start going out and doing. And so I tell that story just to say, you know, the lesson is that our, our, our identity has got to be in Christ's work for us and not our work for Christ, right? My identity is in Christ's level of love for me and not my level of love for Christ. My identity, how I see myself, has to be secure in the work of Jesus and not secure in the work of Josh, right? In the shred culture, if my identity is only in what I can do, then I'm, I'm kind of setting myself up for a world of disappointment eventually. So all of that to say, um, identity, it's, it's one of the things we, it's absolutely imperative. We find our identity, um, in Jesus and not in the things we do. Um, today I have a good friend, Kelly Clark. Uh, she is a legend, um, five-time Olympian, 2002 gold medalist. Um, in her book, she says that was one of the craziest rides. Um, America's golden girl with, you know, she won the Olympics here on our home soil. She was on Letterman hanging out with Britney Spears and Dave Chappelle and well, the white house. I mean, so many, so many firsts, um, now an author, hot dang, your list of achievements I, <laughs> is pretty huge. Um, but to me, I mean, I've, I've known you for a while. One of the most impressive off your list of achievements is that you've managed to stay approachable and humble and level-headed throughout, throughout your career. And, and I've heard your faith story a handful of times, and I have a hunch that your identity in Jesus has had a pretty big role in your character development. Um, it's the reason for a lot of that. Um, Kelly, would you, would you be so kind as to sort of talk about why you feel that the things we attach our identity to are so important? Yeah, well, thanks for having me and uh, having me in for a chat today. It's good to catch <laughs> up, and um, thanks for the kind words as well. I've had a, a pretty pretty awesome ride, as you said, mm. pretty great uh, great career in snowboarding, and and yeah, I, I think um, identity is something that we all wrestle with. You don't have mm. to be a you know Olympian to to have those sort of questions come up um and i think what it really comes down to is you know we're all in a level of performance culture and i found that throughout my career um you know sports have such a cool way of illustrating life's principles and and kind of showing you where you uh put your your trust and and for me uh, that that performance culture and having you know such an emphasis on competing it really forced me to figure out my identity outside of what I do because I quickly found out if we get our identity wrapped up in our performance and define it by external things it's it's a really bumpy uh, not fun um, unsustainable uh, quickly 
burnout, burnoutable, if that's yeah. a word. Um, <laughs> it, it, it's just really becomes this thing that um, we all find ourselves looking for and we look for it in the wrong places. Sure, and yeah. um, ultimately, I found that identity has much more to do with significance than like a, a definition mm. of what it is we spend our time doing. Like if yeah, sure. I would almost say, you know, we're not looking for identity. We're just looking for significance. And you mm. can look for that in all the wrong places um, in that performance world we live in, whether you're a snowboarder or, or yeah. a skier, Olympian, or just in the business world. It's, it's just the nature of, of what we're made for to be significant. And we look for it everywhere else. Yeah. And um, I found that the only sustainable place to get it is in knowing that you're loved. Hmm. That's so good. Yeah. I, I actually pulled out a, you, a quote from your book was, you said significance is something that cannot be gained through accomplishment. And I was like, man, that will preach. That's so good. Yeah. It, it's, uh, it's so easy to do. And, and, mm-hmm. and also I find with identity, it, it isn't something that you like master and you're like, okay, I've really got this whole thing worked out. Like it's it's never something you arrive at. It's like there's a real battle for our affections and for our heart. Mm. And it's a lifetime of like heart tests and making sure yeah. that you're not being defined by an accomplishment, by a relationship, by a job title, whatever it is. Um, yeah. And so I think just being willing to go on that journey to be like, I... I I want to know that significance and that, and that's a, that's an awesome invitation to, to walk with Jesus throughout your whole life. Yeah. And that, I mean, that only comes from spending time getting to know, you know, if you, you need to, we talk about all the time about how, um, the thing sort of works its way from our head to our heart, to our hands, right? It's, it's like, you can know this information about who he is, but until you actually spend enough time with him that he, he actually starts like to give you those same emotions, you know, you feel the emotions that God has for people. And, and for you, you know, you understand that God actually loves you. That's what actually starts to affect all of the, everything that you do. Yeah, very much so. It's, um, definitely a, an awesome journey and it's exciting too. Cause it's not something that you're like, okay, I've figured it out. I've got it down. I do X, Y, and Z. It's, it's a real relationship. And I think that's, what's so cool about having a relationship with Jesus it's it's not some religious follow the rules thing that yeah becomes structured and if you don't do this you know you don't qualify like newsflash none of us qualify and all of us need Jesus so (laughs) it's like an invitation to an awesome journey not just like about checking boxes and so if you can move yourself from being like I'm gonna figure this out to being like no I'm I'm willing to go on a journey and I'm gonna have my good days and my not so good days yeah. Um, but at the end of it, it's going to be sustainable and fulfilling. Yeah. Would, would you, would you be willing to share a little bit of your story about just coming to know the Lord too? Yeah. There's some, sure. ide- there's some identity wrapped up in that story that yeah. I, I love to hear. Yeah. yeah. There's a lot of, a lot of identity wrapped up in that one. <laughs> um, yeah. So I grew up, uh, in Vermont and I just kind of grew up in a small mountain town. Uh, I started snowboarding and 1990 was before it was cool. No such thing as the X Games. <laughs> it was long before it was an Olympic sport. And I just fell in love with it. And and it was really one of the only things that I was, um, that I really excelled at. Uh, I didn't necessarily ex- excel in the 
in school. There wasn't some other passion that I had. And I really saw snowboarding as this thing that I could really be successful in. And um, I remember when I was 14, uh, it was the first year that snowboarding became an Olympic sport in 1998. I had recorded on a VHS tape the Olympics and I watched it after school. And I really had one of those moments like I was 14 and, and I knew then and there that that was like, this is the dream that I want to give my life to. Like, I want to be an Olympic snowboarder. And this was eight years into you riding, right? Because you started in 90, so yeah, 98. Yeah, about eight years in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think I was just about in, in ninth grade. And I was 14 years old. And I just knew it. that was <laughs> that was it for me. And, so you know, you, you, I started doing the math. And I thought, okay, one year out of high school, I'll be 18. The Olympics are going to be in Salt Lake City. Um I'm going to give myself as good of a shot as I can, (laughs) you know? And so I put everything towards it. I convinced my parents that uh, I could defer from college for one year to go after this dream. (laughs) Um, They're always really supportive, but it's kind of scary when your kid tells you that they want to go after athletics and put off college. That wasn't really in the plan. So um, that took some convincing, but my parents came around and gave me one, one year to prove it to them. And up until this point, I hadn't... um, you know, I podiumed here and there, but I wasn't winning events consistently. Yeah. Uh, and I went into those Olympic qualifiers. There was five events. I got seventh and ninth at the first two. Mm. And I basically needed to be in the top three of the U.S. women after those five events. And they take your top two finishes. And I had a seventh and a ninth. Wasn't looking too good. Um, and then I went out into the last three qualifiers in January of 2002. And I won the last three Olympic qualifiers, became the youngest member of the Olympic team. Dang. Uh, I went to the X Games where I thought, you know, it's right before the Olympics. They had named the Olympic team, and then there's the X Games, and then you go straight to the Olympics. And I thought, okay, I'll see how I kind of stack up against, you know, all the competition because I'd just mm-hmm. kind of been competing in those U.S. events at that time for qualifying. Right. And I won, the, I won the X Games by, like, 12 points, and it was just <laughs> this, like, crescendo of, like, wow, oh. if, if I land on my feet... Like, I might be able to really do do this thing. What a crazy feeling for an 18-year-old. Yeah. And yeah. so I went, and I did it. And I won the first gold medal for the U.S. Um, at that Olympics. And the men swept the podium the next day. And I went, and I won the U.S. Open at the end of the year. It was just like, as a snowboarder, if you win one of those events in your career, it's yeah. pretty great. Yeah. And I had won, you know, all three of those events in, in, as an 18-year-old. And, That's crazy. Um, you know, ultimately what I found and what, um, what I was mentioning before is that I thought if I was successful, it would fulfill me. And I had this dream and I went after it and I found myself the top of the heap. And, um, what I was looking for wasn't there. And I didn't necessarily know that at the time. You know, like you said, I was busy hanging out with Britney Spears and Justin Timberlake and, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, Letterman and all this stuff. You know, you're just going That's through the so motions. And, and it's and it's awesome, you know, like incredible experience hmm. um, that I'll never forget. And I'm so grateful for it. But I was just kind of going through the motions for a couple of years after that. And hmm. after I had accomplished everything, I didn't I didn't really know what to apply myself to and I didn't really know what else to aspire to. And the the pressure and the expectation from people when Mm. you're 
when you're an Olympic gold medalist is just unbelievable. I mean, I, I've even been watching the Olympics this week here, and and I'm just the Summer Olympics here in Tokyo, and I'm just like heartbroken when someone gets silver, and they're so disappointed mm. for people. And I'm like, we need to change what our perspective. What an accomplishment! Like what <laughs> a, an accomplishment! So, be, being the defending, you know, gold medalist was um, pretty difficult, yeah. and. Uh, it was 2004, and I was in Salt Lake City, and I was starting my my season, just a Grand Prix at Park City. And um, I was standing at the bottom of the pipe. I had done qualifiers. I had made the finals. Um, and I was standing there, and someone someone came down, and, and they, they fell in both their runs. They didn't make the finals, and I, I literally overheard a conversation with with these these two women this one girl was saying to the other one hey it's all right god still loves you trying to cheer up her friend who was crying because she didn't make finals and I, i literally just overheard that conversation like it's all right god still loves you and it just like stirred something in me like something happened to me when i just heard that phrase it was it was a joke it wasn't someone you know even talking to me and you know, that morning, I had spent the morning journaling about how, you know, starting this, this competition season, if this was, this was all life was, if this was what it was, and Mm. I didn't want to do it anymore. And Mm. I didn't care if I woke up tomorrow. And I didn't think anybody else cared if I woke up tomorrow. That was the reality of where I was at. And so when I heard that statement that God still loves you, I, I thought, well, that's something. If Mm -hmm. God loves them, maybe, maybe God loves me. Hmm. And I literally like went back to my hotel room because I figured there's Bibles in hotel rooms, right? <laughs> and so I go and it's like a King James version of the Gideon Bible. And I'm like, I have no idea what to do. Like, I don't even know where to start. Hmm. And so I found that girl, she was staying in my hotel that, that made that comment. And I knocked on her door and I said, hey, my name's Kelly. I think you might be a Christian. And I was wondering if you could tell me about God. That's so wild. And it's just crazy to think back on that story. I'm like, that really happened? That was crazy. It's <laughs> pretty bold move. Yeah, like thinking back, I'm like, that's pretty out of character for me. I'm I'm pretty reserved and I'm not that's <laughs> not really my personality type. But Man. um, you know, it was cool. I knocked on the right door that day and I just had this idea of what it meant to be a Christian and mm. I thought it was um about being good, about following rules, you mm. know, going to church, all this stuff and, and she she just told me that, you know, Jesus made me for a relationship, and it wasn't about being religious. It was a, it was yeah. about welcoming him into your life to do life with you. And um, I didn't, you know, contrary to popular belief, I think people think snowboarders are kind of risk takers, but we're calculated risk takers. Mm-hmm. Sure, exactly. And I didn't make some kind of big decision that day because I was like, I've never thought about God before a day in my life. Mm. Like, why would I just sign up for this, like, out of the blue? So I'm like, I'm going to take my time. I'm going to learn about this. I'm going to think do about it. Research. I'm going to yeah. do some research so I can make a better decision. And um, I went through that season, and I just kind of slowly found people all around me who were Christians, who I could ask mm. questions to, who helped me get a grid for things like the Purpose Driven Life book was really instrumental in me getting kind of a grid for things and someone had given me a daily devotional Bible and that was super helpful for me to like start to understand about the word of God and how that applies to my life. It was just really the right kind of steps for me. 
and someone was asking me, you know, fast forward, that was December of 2003, so fast forward to April of 2004, my season was over, and um, I'd kind of been on this journey with God, and I, um, someone was asking me if I'd give my life to Jesus, and I was like, you know, I, I, maybe, I, I don't know. <laughs> Not quite sure. <laughs> I don't know what that means. <laughs> and so they just told me, they're like, yeah, you just, you know, acknowledge him as Lord, and you know, you can't do it on your own, and welcome him in to do life with you. And I was like, okay, yeah, huh. So I asked myself two questions. I thought to myself, you know, could I ever wake up another day and not talk to God? And I was like, no, like I'm praying every day, which is Hmm. talking to God. And could I ever, you know, pretend he didn't exist? And that answer was also no. Hmm. And so I thought, okay, Jesus, I'm in. You're real and you're in my life every day. So um, I gave my heart to the Lord that day and it was, it was really amazing what began to, to, to happen in my life. You know, I had been defined, you know, my, my name Mm -hmm. forever will have the taglines on it. Olympic Mm -hmm. gold medalist, five-time Olympian, whatever that is. It's like, Mm -hmm. like it's, it was so much a part of who I was and I realized that I was looking for fulfillment in in that in snowboarding and, and snowboarding mm-hmm. for me because of that had become something that I didn't like anymore. It became mm-hmm. something that um, I had to do to prove to people who I was and to mm-hmm. feel good about myself at the end of the yeah. day because my identity was in it and mm-hmm. my identity just began to shift and it wasn't some overnight thing but I just started to go deeper into that relationship with God where I was actually feeling good about myself and Mm. understanding that I had a purpose and that there was more that I was living for than just the here and the now. Mm. Um, And so what ended up happening was I got snowboarding back when it no longer was something that I had to do, it was something I got to do. And I've, I've really found that God is into what's in our hearts. He just wants our hearts. So um, I I really think having that backbone of identity gave me uh, a very long, sustainable, enjoyable career. I know a lot of athletes who get burned out. Um, I, I, I went on to have a 20-year competitive snowboarding career, and I loved it on the last day as much as I loved it on the first day. And, you know, people will say they're just burnt out. How could you do that? You know, different things. And I found that burnout doesn't come from too much activity. It comes from unmet expectations. Mm, And when you're able to iron out that performance stuff and that identity stuff, like Mm. it just frees you up to enjoy life, whether you're snowboarding, whether you're working, whether you're skiing, whatever it is. It's just, it's such a crucial component to ironing out, to to really being defined by what goes on in us and what God says instead of what's going on around us and what people yeah. expect. Yeah. One of the, one of the things you said in your book that I also wrote down, cause I was like, man, I need to remember this is you said, you said hopelessness and depression often land close to people who depend on external things to fulfill them. And I was like, man, that is so, I mean, it's just, it feels so fleeting when you, when you need things, external things to just fulfill you to keep picking you back up because it's it's endless it's bottomless 
you know? Yeah. And so, and that's one of the, so that's one of the things that, that the desire for things to fulfill us, that's one of the things that holds us back. I, I wanted to pick your brain a little bit too, just, um, this idea of identity in Jesus being fulfilling, being uh, even just a balancing, uh, a, a, like a liberating thing. Uh, our identity in Jesus can be so liberating. Like you said, what are some of the roadblocks? What are some of the things that will hold people back for the people who are listening to this, who are living, some of them might be ministering in different places. Some of them might just be tuning in, but what are some of the things that hold us back? How do we define, let's, let's define those for a second. What are some of the things that hold us back from living into that liberated identity that you're talking about? Um, I would say the, there's, there's a handful of things I think that can kind of contribute mm. to some roadblocks there. Um, I would say having a really high value for what people think of you. Hmm is a roadblock. Yeah, sure. Um, being really concerned um, if people like you <laughs> mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. Is, is just a really huge one. Um, being defined, like, if, if you have goals or like I like to I think I mentioned in my book I call it like destination disease if you're constantly mm. striving for one more promotion for one more achievement um yeah that's a pretty good indicator that you might be looking to be defined by arriving Oosh. um and I also think another thing that really holds us back is, is some of our paradigms that we all have from growing up mm. um you know, I think even now as I've retired from competition, like I've found I have some old mindsets that need to be mm. renewed. And I yeah. think those things, those patterns of um, comfort and dependency can be a real roadblock to identity as well. That's really good. Um, I'm writing, writing these down because I want to remember them for that. <laughs> um, you, you talk a bit in your book about, um, you have a whole chapter on facing fear. Uh, you talk about the fear of, of disappointment. Um, and, and one of the things you said was most people's self-esteem and self-worth are not found in who they are, but what the most important person or group of people in their life think about them. We are driven by that. And that's nothing new <laughs> for how probably the history of humanity people have cared about what the people around them think about them. I mean, that's, there's, there's nothing new there. Yeah. I, I think, um, yeah, it's, it's human nature probably like for lack of a better term. Um, and it's really common, you know, we do it with our parents it starts young mm, growing up yeah. wanting our parents that, that affirmation and, and our friends and, you know, our peers and, um, it, it's a really interesting thing and you just have to be you have to be really comfortable in your own skin like mm. to your identity stuff to kind of be in a, a good place with your identity as someone who's really comfortable with who they are mm. um, 
regardless of what people think, which I think can be very hard in the snowboard culture. Like sure. I've, I've never been cool. I've never fit in, but I've always <laughs> like been consistent. Ditto. <laughs> and like I've always been really comfortable in my own skin and hmm. that consistency I think ends up getting more respect than someone who just you know says one thing and flakes. does another or flake yeah, you know yeah, it, it's yeah. just um, striving to be consistent is is something that will really help you um, yeah. be comfortable in your own skin yeah it, it is one of those things it's kind of funny in that the the industry now, at least there's a lot of people who are like, Oh, just be yourself, be yourself, you know, do your own thing. But there's something about being a Christian. That's not okay. Like there's a, there's a thing when you make a stand for, for something like Jesus, Jesus is a little bit controversial. And, and that I'm sure you saw some of that in your career is like, be yourself, be yourself. Oh, but this Jesus thing is kind of a little, you've gone too far. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and I think, I think sometimes there's a lot of opportunity for us Christians as well. There's there's stereotypes in mm. every area of society and every Definitely. people group, right? And we yeah. all have biases and and personal life experiences that would lead us to believe certain things about different different people. And yeah. and I, I think a lot of people, like as far as Christian Christianity goes, like you know, I mentioned it when I first got saved I was like I thought being a Christian was about being good and going to church and following rules like you just have an idea of what it should be right and Mm -hmm. I think we just have an opportunity to just be whole healthy um Mm -hmm. contributors to the world around us as Christians and and change some of those stereotypes by like I didn't really know Christian like too many Christians when when I got saved and it was like like people should know Christians and realize that they're like amazing people, just like every other people group, you know, I, you can change those, you can change those stereotypes by just being yourself. Um, yeah. And yeah, it goes a long way. And that's, I mean, one of the questions I like to ask is, you know, we said some of the roadblocks are, you know, these external pressures that you've dealt with a lot. Um, what people think of you just simply being liked, um, old patterns that we, you know, old things that we used to think. Um, but, um, I like to ask this question, what does this look like done right? And you started to hit on that a little bit. Like, what are the, what are some of the things that we just have to remember? What are some vital to do's for us to, for the people listening to this? What are, what are some things that this is what this looks like done right? What does it mean to be a, a whole healthy contributor? You know, like that's what you said. Christians can be these these whole, these people who are, are literally building the backbone of the community, who are influencing the community and not being influenced by the world, but influencing the world. What does that look like done right? Yeah, I think um, it's giving more than we get, I think. Hmm. Um, actively looking to contribute hmm. uh, to, to the world and to the culture around us. And and I think that looks like loving people well. Like we can pull out a bunch of points about what it should look like or what we need to do, but like it should look like love. It should look like um, genuine care for our communities. Yeah. I think that would be the best thing that we could all do. And in terms of, of identity and navigating that performance culture, when you were um, – 
when you were talking in the beginning of the show here, I was remembering something that I had written down talking specifically about, about um, performance culture and how it parallels with kingdom culture. So I'm just going to read that real quick. Yeah, um, so in a performance culture, the world we find ourselves in, it says, I wonder if I'm enough. That's what everybody's asking themselves. In a kingdom culture, it says, you are enough. In a performance paradigm, it says, I will work for everything that I deserve. And in the kingdom culture, it says, things are not given, not earned, and you do not get what you deserve. I'm pretty thankful for Jesus for that. Thank you, Jesus. (laughs) Um, Performance paradigm says, I'll do anything to win. And in the kingdom, we don't get to win, but love does. And in performance culture, external success is the only thing that matters. But the kingdom culture says internal success is far better than external victory. Mm. So it looks like knowing that we're enough, knowing that we don't have to perform and earn things, Mm. um, letting love go first, and valuing the world that nobody sees more than the world that everybody sees. Those would be um, attributes to bringing a different culture into the world that we're all in. Mm. That's so good. Yeah, I love I love that looking at the culture says this, the kingdom says this, the culture says this, the kingdom says this. And that's that's it. That's what is that's what is so freeing. And 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 you said this looks like loving people well. And if if we are people who actually understand and sit under sit under love. I mean, Jesus' teaching was love and truth. And if we if we sit under that love and we under start to understand that love it it will just flow out of us that's what the holy spirit does it 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 produces this fruit from the inter- you know the roots are are in love and and what grows out of that is is just going to be the fruits of the spirit it's the same way that that person said oh god loves you and you said i don't know why that it was like a joke why did that even you know <laughs> there's like a seed that's planted there and there's a very real supernatural seed that is planted. And, and when we go out and love people, well, that's what happens. And you just never, you never know. I mean, you know, this, you just never know what seeds you're planting. I mean, your, your book is inspired. It's, it's literally like going in and giving life to, that's what you said. That's how you define the word inspiring is like to go and give life and to bring life. And that's literally our job. That's, it's what, it's not just what we have to do, but it's what we get to do. We get to bring life, the kingdom of God, real supernatural life to every, everywhere our feet go, everywhere. Well, now I guess we're not even, our feet aren't even here. We're on the internet. <laughs> but we get to literally bring life everywhere we go. And what a beautiful opportunity. What an incredible reality to live in. Yeah, I think Jesus made it pretty simple. You know, love God and love people. Like, you do that, like, you're crushing it. In that order. Yeah. Yeah, And and that's it. And I also think, too, you know, that analogy of the airplane, like, please put your mask on before assisting others. Mm. Like, I think that's where the identity thing comes in, where, like, you Mm. have to have something to give. And when you really settle into, like, understanding the love that God has for you, Mm. it really gives gives you the ability to, to actually, like, you have something to give, like, yeah. So go put your mask on and then help everybody else mask. around you. You know, no, this is maybe not the right time to to, to say that socially. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. But you get you, the point. You, you get the point. Of, um, for lack of a better phrase, I think that's just a good analogy to look at. And, and um, 
that's just like the the privilege that we have yeah. is is to to encounter God and be an encounter to those around us. Mm, that's so good. Kelly, thank you so 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 much for taking the time to do this. Yeah, great this hanging. Is, uh, oh man, what a what a blessing. It's fun to catch up, but also it's this is going to be such a blessing to um, to the people who are listening. And so for you guys listening, thank you for, for joining Kelly and I. Um, we hope that this little conversation is is going to be helpful for you. We hope it stirs you. We hope it excites you. We hope it inspires you. We hope it brings life. And we pray that God would just use this conversation um, to help every one of us as we go out just to shine brighter and bridge better. And so thank you, Kelly. And thank you guys for listening. And we'll see you next time.